Well, good morning, everyone. Do you know what? I was listening to so many notices when Herman said, and Ian's preaching. I thought, oh, am I? Gosh, I was just so, it was just so many. I'm just going to move this out of my way so I don't kick it or fall over it at any point. Great. Wow. How are we all this morning? We're doing good. If you're, just want to extend the welcome again if you're a visitor here this morning. Just want to say it's great to see you. Um, Please stick around. We're going to have tea and coffee at the end. Um, and if somebody, you can get to talk to somebody else new who didn't say hello to you just now. So um, I hope you feel really welcome. Um, at the moment, we've been going through, uh, over the last, it feels like five or six years, we've been going through the discipleship series. Um, and I've only been here nearly two. So um, <clears throat> we've been going through the discipleship series because um, it's important to uh, know what it is to be a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ. Um, we want to follow him, don't we? We don't just want to be Christians in name. We want to know what Jesus is calling us to. And if you are here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself uh, a Christian or a disciple or a follower of uh, Jesus, then I'd love to talk to you about this at the end at some point because this isn't uh, where we see if you've noticed everyone singing here this morning, this isn't lots of people gathered here who've got all their life sussed, as Herman was talking about this morning. It's just lots of, we, we're people who are trying to work our lives out, who saying, actually, we haven't got it all sussed, but we know somebody who has. And we want to let him break into our lives. And uh, he has a say on that. And Jesus was a real person who lived and breathed and walked this earth, who claimed to be God, and died on a cross for us, so that we could be free from fear of death, free from sin, free from the things that hold us back. And I'd love to chat to you about that at the end. It's also a special day today. I've just been reminded as I was looking around the room, it's a special day because it's our friend Kate Gad's birthday. She... She thought I couldn't see her at the back because she is quite short and she is on the back row. But happy birthday, Kate Gadd. Anybody else's birthday? Let's just get it out of the way. No good. Right. Okay. Last uh, week, I was looking at the uh, topic of disciples share their faith. Now, I, I kind of got round to it at, at the end, really, but because it was important to look at um, if we're going to share our faith, we're to... Uh, bear fruit, to bear fruit we need to be attached to the vine, to know God. Otherwise we're just kind of trying in our own effort. And I meant, as I got to the end last week, uh, looked at what, how we can share our faith, that we should always try and bring it back to Christ and him crucified. I've been having a discussion at the end of this week with kind of a friend of a friend really about evolution and um, creation and origin and all that sort of thing and you know you can talk about I can put up a pretty good discussion and argument for these things but you can just go round and round and round and round in circles with that but when you bring it back to Christ and him crucified that's when you get to the crux of the matter otherwise it, you can just go round and round and actually you end up wasting a lot of your own time so bring it back to Christ and him crucified and we're to take this mission seriously because as we are called to be disciples, we're called to make his name known. As I quoted at the end last week about Peter in Acts 4, where he said, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. 
Wouldn't it be great if we kind of all lived out that way, if we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard? And, and I'm putting myself in this category because we all struggle with that, don't we? We don't always live like that. We get swept up with the kind of flow of life. But sharing Christ should be an everyday natural Christian experience. If we really believe what the Scriptures say about what's to come, the reality of hell, the reality of a risen Christ that's died and wants a relationship with us now and for eternity, then we need to take this seriously. We need to do it with gentleness and respect. I'm just polishing off the end of my notes from last week, really. Um, 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy. Get this, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. See, that kind of shows us that people should notice that there's something different about you. Why are you like this? We should stick out from the crowd, not blend in, not secret agents. You should always be prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you and do it with gentleness and respect. It was something we learn when we do Alpha, People come at us with interesting views, don't they, Anne? And we, but we have to try and kind of take down views, world views, brick by brick, not just smash them down and say, no, that's a load of rubbish. No, we have to do it with gentleness and respect. And when we speak the Holy Spirit, we have to believe the Holy Spirit will enable us to do that. And God gives us many different ways. We can use our words. I talked about, you know, if you really believe this, what it says in, in the scriptures, then get to know the book, get to know what you really believe about lots of different issues that you might come up against. We have works, we have words, we have works, we can help people, we can share our resources, we can look after people, and we have wonders. So we have words, works, and wonders, and we can pray for the sick and genuinely believe that people will get healed. Words, works, and wonders. And to live this life of bearing fruit, we need to be able to live a life, live by faith. What is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. To live by faith can seem a risk. There is that old cliche, isn't there, of faith is spelt R-I-S-K. And that brings us on to our topic this week, that disciples, Ruben, it's not, there we go, disciples risk, oh, <laughs> now we both, you press the button and I won't, how about that, disciples risk, and to help us with this topic, we're going to look at two men who live differently who had different faith positions. One put their trust in themselves. You've already had a little preview. Who put them trust in themselves and their own resources, and one who put their trust in God, both called Ananias. So now, Reuben, you can press it again. <clears throat> so if you have a Bible, you can turn, but as you can see, the words are on the screen. Acts 5, verse 1. But a man 
named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. And the young men rose up and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. It's quite a sobering, serious bit of scripture. I suggested to Adam we do the offering after I read this, but he said, uh, <laughs> he said that probably wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> but what we see here, I really shouldn't laugh at my own jokes that much, but we see here at the beginning of the early church, the disciples selling their possessions and sharing them. In the preceding chapter, we see this done well with Barnabas, And that's a positive picture of the community sharing, um, but it's marred by this couple. And they abuse the practice by holding back a portion of what they sold, by claiming to give it all to the church. And the context is important. When we read scripture, it's important that we know the context, because this context is bracketed before and after by the Spirit's power. We see in Acts 4.31... Um, where the Spirit came upon the believers and the room was shook and they went and spoke with boldness. And then afterwards, in Acts 5.12, many signs and wonders were being done among the people. The Spirit was closely linked to the unity of the fellowship manifested in their sharing. And these guys here, they abused the fellowship through their deception and threatened their unity. Verse 2, kept back in the Greek, means to put aside for oneself in a secret and dishonest way. Similar to the way Achan uh, in Joshua held back some of the spoils of the victory. When the people uh, of Israel were going through into the promised land and they went into a place called Ai and they, they won a battle, all the spoils were to be given over as a dedication to the Lord, but Achan kept back some. And verse 3, Peter kind of calls out Ananias on this. He sees the instigator behind it, Satan. He says, why has Satan filled your hearts? Just as the Spirit had filled the community for witness, Ananias was filled with deception. And Peter makes this clear as well. This, they weren't forced into this, this you know, to sell their land. This was of a voluntary nature. He said in verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? And this does seem harsh. But I also find this, in a a weird sort of way, encouraging, because it shows me that if if the book of Acts was a made-up story about the church growing and developing, then surely they would have left this bit out. Surely they would have left this out about the early church. This helps me with the authenticity of Scripture, because they would have left this bit out, surely. What happened to Ananias? He left some back. He wanted to appear like he was doing the right thing. 
I think ultimately he was trusting his own resources. He wasn't prepared to put, completely put his trust in God. He was saying, yeah, I, I love Jesus. I'm going to give you part of my time, part of my money, part of my, my thoughts. But he wasn't letting him have complete control. He didn't want to risk everything. And I, I, I think Satan loves to distract us in the church today as well. We can fall into that trap of thinking, well, you know, I, I attend church fairly regularly uh, it's what good Christians do. I can give some of my money, some of my time, you know, when, when work's not too busy. But we avoid risk. And we can choose what's popular over what's right, over what God is calling us to do, our desire to fit in. I don't know about you, I have that desire sometimes to just fit in, inside and outside of the church. I can be a non-risk taker. Non-risk takers can be moved by stories of, of people who do radical things for Christ. But we don't act ourselves. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, because you will be deceiving yourselves. When we avoid risk, when we don't share our faith with those we know, our neighbours, our colleagues and our friends, it's because we don't want to be rejected or make people uncomfortable. An Ananias character won't put themselves out for the lost or the hurting or the broken. In James 2, it says, if, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? I find that a challenge. It's so easy to get up, swept up in the flow of life, getting swept downstream. But what is required is an active swimming against the flow of the river. When we stop actively living out this call, the call of God, there's an upward call of Jesus Christ on your life. When we stop actively swimming against the flow of life, we just get swept down stream. The world wants us to follow its path. Romans 12, 2 says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think Ananias wasn't renewing his mind. He was still trusting in his own resources. He wasn't totally sold out for Christ. Following Christ wasn't something that was supposed to be half-hearted or on the side when work's not too busy. It's something to be central to everything we do and everything we are. Do you agree? Good. You're a new creation. This isn't a part-time thing. You're a new creation with the living God inside you. So we need to start living like it. 2 Corinthians 5:17 says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come." We can be free, for the new has come. We don't have to live like the world because the new has come. We can be free from fear and start taking risks for God. Which moves us on to the second Ananias. In Acts 9, Saul was ravaging the church. In Acts 8, sorry, Saul was ravaging the church. He was at the stoning of Stephen. And um, in Acts 8, verse 3, 
it says, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Then, Jesus, then Saul is on the way to Damascus and he encounters Jesus, who Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And he's blinded by the, this light. He's led by his companions to Damascus and then leads us to where we are next. Acts 9, verse 10. And there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And behold, he is praying. And he is seen in a vision, a man named Ananias, and come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from him. From many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he will suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained sight. And then he rose and was baptised and taking food, he was strengthened. So the Lord speaks to Ananias, the second Ananias. And he has an instant response, here I am, Lord. He doesn't doubt. He wants to hear what the Lord has to say. He takes the time. He has the time to hear. We can be so busy, can't we? I'm including myself in all, all of this. We're so busy to not take time. And one of the first lessons we can do is we want to do the Lord's will, then we have to make ourselves available to hear from him. And if you weren't here the other week, I'd recommend you listen to Adam's sermon on hearing from God. Instead of asking the Lord to bless our plans, let's seek him. Let's pray. Let's give him space to speak to us rather than him asking to bless us. This man hears God's voice. We need to practice hearing and then acting. The more we act on what he says, the more he'll want to speak to us. Can you imagine, though, what it was like to be in Ananias' shoes? He says, here I am, Lord. Great. Can you go and see Saul? Oh, yeah. Oh, actually, I'm, I'm quite busy today, actually. Could, uh, what about John down the road? I'm sure he's all right today. Because what he's asking him to do is to go and see someone who is ravaging the church. Has the Lord ever asked you to go and do something so challenging that doesn't, it doesn't make any sense? There's a cost involved in listening to God. There's a cost involved in taking a risk for God. Jesus says this as well in Luke 14. 
He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be his, my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That is a cost. That is a huge cost involved. Luke 9, someone says to him, Jesus, let me just bury my father. Jesus turns to him and says, let the dead bury their dead. That's a huge cost involved. But the reward is worth it as we step out. As we take risks. As we see God move in signs and wonders. Acting on what the Lord says to you rather. you know, And then seeing him come through. Acting on what he says and then seeing him come through is amazing. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. If you've you've never seen that happen, then there's a reason for that. Can you work out what it is? Because you need to act. You forget that the book of Acts is called Acts. Because they acted all the time as well. So much, as you read it through, so much happens because the disciples were acting. They were hearing and then acting. Can you imagine if Ananias didn't act on what God said to him? God would have used somebody else, probably. But he would have missed out on playing a part in God's mission. That's what we've been called into to co-labor with him. I would have hate, hated to miss out on some of the people I've shared my faith with. In the, um, on the November afternoon service, I'm hoping, and I'm pretty sure, my friend Chris is coming to share his testimony. I've had such an amazing journey sharing my faith with this guy who cuts my hair. And he's... he's just telling everybody. This week he was just telling me how he's sharing with his customers and his family about the power of forgiveness. It's just amazing. We get to journey in that and see people's lives affected. And who knows what, what will happen if we do that. Ananias has this dialect, doesn't he, with God. He says, uh, Lord, I've kind of heard about him from many about, about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And the Lord replies with who God sees Saul as. He said, go. That's what God calls us to do a lot of the time. Go, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Oh, okay. That's quite a big call. When we hear God speak and when we act, we just don't know where it will lead to. You just don't know who you're reaching out to and the impact that it will have. There's a great story of Albert McMakin who talked to Billy Graham. I mean, not many people know about Albert McMakin, but a lot of people know about Billy Graham, and Billy Graham affected millions and millions of lives. Thank you, God, for Albert McMakin. When we take risks for God, it goes beyond being consumed by our own safety and comfort. We care more about God's kingdom coming to earth than a little pain or discomfort that we might experience. 
or rejection. This should be everyday Christianity, not just you know, for the radicals, for the preachers, for the pastors. We see often through Scripture, we're told to be courageous. In Joshua, the Lord tells Joshua to be strong and courageous, for I'll be with you wherever you go. When we get that truth in us that he'll be with us, that we have that Holy Spirit power within us, we can live without fear, without our sights being set on what is temporary, which is now, this life, and we can set our sights on what is eternal. And it's difficult to do that. But God is calling us to take risks now. I know it's difficult as well, especially when you're young. So when you're at school, it's very difficult to take your eyes off of what is now because you think this is it. But actually, if we can set our eyes on what is eternal... See, as young, when you're a younger person, you get pulled in all sorts of directions. The world can look very tempting. But believe me, what you're coming up against with your friends at school is they are like sheep without a shepherd. That's what it says in the Bible. That those, your friends who don't know Christ, they are like sheep without a shepherd. And I've had a bit of experience with sheep over the last little while, and they've They can be pretty dumb, can't they? (coughs) Sheep without a shepherd wander around. What's happening to today's generation is they are being blown around by many different ideas and worldviews, not knowing what is right. But we have the answers to life right here in a relationship with Jesus. You find out who you really are and who you're meant to be. Anything outside of that, if you try to find your identity outside of Christ... You will always be searching. You will always be looking for answers in different areas, and you will search your whole life. I know people who are older than me, who are outside of Christ, who are still searching. You only have to watch reality TV, pop culture TV, to, to realize that people are, just don't know who they are anymore. But what we have here in this book, when you get to know God through this book, he has the answers to life. I know some of you youth are considering baptism. Jesus is looking for his people, his followers, to stand up and say what they believe. He's saying, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. And in baptism, you're declaring who you are. We have a baptism, by the way, coming up on the 2nd of December. Thank you. So if you're thinking about being baptised, come and speak to myself or Adam or Herman, or Malcolm. In baptism, you're declaring who you are. In a world that's lost its identity. So your friends might be saying to you at school or college, wherever you're going, that you're being conformed into a small way of thinking by following God. But actually, God says in the Bible that there are two ways. The world's way, which might seem very wide and broad, or God's way. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And your identity, you will be constantly searching for outside of Christ. That's a little pep talk over, youth. (laughs) Right. 
And we see what happens to Ananias when he acts on God's word in verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Now, I was trying to, chatting to Adam about this this week. Do you think it was a, a, in a loving way, Brother Saul? Or was it a, a Brother Saul? <laughs> Don't hurt me. Um, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. But he was confident God was going to act. And when he did, verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and was baptized, taking food and was strengthened. Paul goes on to affect the rest of the world. We are living in the benefit of Ananias' step of faith, his risk that he took. We here are living in the benefit of that. Paul goes on to affect the rest of the world. It says later on, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues and saying, he is the son of God. We just don't know what we're going to miss out on if we ignore that small voice, that call, that nudge, that urge in our spirit not to be conformed to the pattern of the world, to rationalize our lives all the time, to miss out on the call of God. Risk is the step required to move into your destiny that God is calling you to. Sounds a bit Star Wars-esque, doesn't it? Risk is the required move to step into your destiny. Risk is the step required to move into your destiny. And we do not need to fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power. Not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Risk is standing one's ground and doing what is right, regardless of fears and consequences. Courage comes from primarily wanting more than your own safety. We pray for our safety a lot, don't we? Pray for, I went to a prayer meeting once a long time ago, and they prayed for travelling mercies and travelling safe. And yeah, sure, I wanted people to be safe, but I just felt like, oh, this is just not about mission. This is about us being safe. Don't worry, parents. <clears throat> you can trust us when we go to Berlin with the youth, though. <clears throat> Courage and risk. It's not an I-can-do-this attitude, because that's self-confidence. It's rather, this is more important to me. We need to live with the reality of God in our lives so that we live a more fearless life. Fear is thinking about ourselves and our abilities instead of having our minds focused on him. So let's go. Let's go and take risks for the Lord and his kingdom. You know, it might be saying no to something. That's a risk as well sometimes. Saying no to something. No to a promotion that might take you away from God's calling. I've heard of a story once where a guy who was... Uh, quite high up in the police force, um, was offered a promotion and it would have meant him moving, moving to a different location. 
And it was a great career move. But he turned it down because he was so focused on loving and serving his connect group. Herman hasn't told me to say this, by the way, but <clears throat> he was so focused on loving and serving the people in his connect group, he turned that down because he felt that was his call. That, that's a risk in the world's eyes, isn't it? Oh, but you could do so well if you take that job, if you take that promotion. That's going to look great. Oh, but God's world is kind of the upside-down kingdom, isn't it? That doesn't make sense. It might be saying no to something that takes you away. I've done that myself. I've turned down jobs before. A couple of times in Suffolk, when we lived in Suffolk, I turned down jobs because I thought this will take me away. And I didn't have a steady income at the time. And it was a good job, a good job offer. But I thought this will take me away from my family. And this will take me away from what God has called me here to do. And I just started an alpha, and I, surprisingly. Um, <clears throat> the sensible thing to do would be regular money in my bank account, but God was calling me to something else, something greater. And we have to look at what is more important to us, God's kingdom coming and his glory being revealed. It might be saying no to doing something at work that you know isn't right. It might be starting to give your money away. It might be to start tithing. It might be to reach out to that neighbor that's always, always been grumpy and irritable. That's a risk, isn't it? I could give you many examples of people over the centuries who have taken risks for God. People like George Muller, Hudson Taylor, who went to China. People told him he was crazy. He became like the Chinese to reach the Chinese. There's a guy called Brian Heasley who was called uh, through the 24-7 prayer network to go to Ibiza to reach the kind of the destitute in that society who, who were kind of off their faces. They used to travel around in a, in a bus called the Vomit Bus because they would pick up people who were literally lying on the streets. It's not a glamorous call. But the impact they had, the risk that they took, gave up a comfortable, safe life in the UK and went to drive around in the Vomit Bus. That doesn't make sense, does it? What might he be calling you to? What might that nudge be today? That risk that he's saying to you today? Shall we ask him? Let's just bow our heads for a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. Holy Spirit, Will you come and speak to us now? Lord, we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. Just show us where, Lord, we're living like the first Ananias and we want to live like the second Ananias. Can you just show us where you want us to take steps of faith? 
apparent risk in the world's eyes, Lord, but ultimately with you, Lord. It's no risk because you've called us to be bold, called us to be courageous. Will you come and just speak now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we have a story to tell. That we have good news to preach. Because there was bad news. Because we were far from you that we couldn't make a way back to God without you. And because Jesus, you, hung on the cross, you were obedient to death on the cross so that we could know you, we could be right with God and right with each other. We have good news to tell. We can have stories of darkness into light. We have the truth within us, Lord. So I pray, just come and speak to us today. <clears throat> Lord, and I pray, give us, I pray for a deposit upon us now as your body of believers, your glorious church, Lord. A deposit of boldness and courage. But the Lord's telling us again today to stand and be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Come. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Just finally, I just want to um, recommend <coughs> ooh, this book called Dirty Glorious by Pete Gregg, the guy who um, launched 24-7 Prayer. This book is full of stories that will inspire you, that will stir up the risk taker in you, the, the second Ananias in you. It's, it's the story of the 24-7 prayer network, but just full of men and women of faith who took God on his word. It's a really great book, so I'd just encourage you to get your hands on that if you could, because that, that should stir up something of this risk uh, within us. Okay, we're going to draw our service to a close. Uh, tea and coffee is going to be served. Herman, is there anything else you want to say? Okay, all right, enjoy the rest of your week. Um, but if you're a visitor, please stick around. We'd love to chat and get to know you.